Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Lone Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and my main man, JC, John <laughs> Coleman. Dio was popping. Obviously not your energy, homie. We got to work on that. It's never popping. People love my lackluster energy. No, you used to bring the JC. Yeah, that's, things got to change. Time change. People change. Okay, but not that watch. You've been rocking that pink watch for like a straight week now. If you're tuned on YouTube, you know what he's talking about. Yeah, you and uh, Dion's uh, Dion's son. Which one? Shador? The quarterback. Yeah. The quarterback. My yeah. Guy. Yeah. He likes to flex his watch at people. No, if you come for millions. And you know what? I think he makes his own millions these days. Well, I think he bought that own watch for himself, well, yeah. not using dad's money. Yeah, I know because the NIL deal. Yeah, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. You should get paid. You know what right? I'm saying? Right. Yes, you should definitely get paid. You know who's not getting paid, but is going to get much love? Me. True. You know who else? You know who else is not getting paid, but he should get much love. You. Okay. We have another person. We have one more. Because you were correct. If y'all didn't know this, John and I do. do not make money on a podcast. We don't make any. We money do not. If you've noticed, these podcasts do not have ads. Yes, I'm going to pimp out where I'm going to be next. I owe that to those people in the mortgage industry that support us, and I support them. Mm-hmm. Yes, we talk incessantly. About TLOPonline.com. By we, I mean me. Yeah, mostly you. You don't want to know why? Because it's a badass resource that I I wish I had available to me in 2004 when I was getting started. Thanks. Right? And yes, if John and I were to make money, we make money when and if TLOP Online continues to grow. And, yeah. If you love this show and you're a mortgage on originator, you should support us. Yeah, just sign up. Don't even log in. Just sign up and just submit. I mean, we do have a basic membership. You can give us your money. We will give you some basic support. One call a month, bunch of training videos, some resources, some links. But I'm telling you, if you're a mortgage loan originator and you need help, you need support, you want to get us a couple coaching calls, you want to get some badass training videos, some awesome scripts, some good marketing ideas, you want to be able to ask us questions through our online forum, yeah, become a premium member. If you want even more, become premium plus. Mm-hmm. Like that comes with thousands of discounts. It comes with a complimentary membership to knowledge coop plus that's like a 360 dollar value by itself compliance training program training ce you get all of that through ken perry's knowledge coop plus you get all the discounts by being a premium plus member that is how john and i make money but no um who is getting some love today is steve doherty doherty it's doherty d-o-u-g-h-e-r-t-y I'm yes yeah, doherty. no there's no h bah there's no H. Nah, it's D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. Ah, typo. It's not a typo unless it's in this guy's email signature. It's not a typo. You need to reach out to IT then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> reach out to his mom and dad. <laughs> Ask mom and dad, hey, what's up? You missed the H <laughs> yeah. in there. Yeah, they couldn't be bothered is what happened. Uh, but no, Steve reached out to me um, a month ago. It was on my sister's birthday, August 24th. He sent me an email. Okay. And he had a, a show request. And it's funny. I sat on it. I replied to Steve right away because that's how we roll. Mm-hmm. But um, I replied to Steve and I said, dude, I love the fact you love the show. Thank you for tuning in. By the way, he's in Raleigh, North Carolina. Shout out to Advantage Lending. That's where where he represents. And um, I'm like, I don't know if it makes a good show. But we can at least do a training video, put the training video up on TLOP online for our premium members. But we hadn't added it to the queue yet for training videos. And you and I just did an hour's worth of recording yesterday. And we did an episode, last episode, where we kind of got into 
the Federal Reserve and the economy and mortgage rates and refinances and why are refinances ticking up and how can people benefit from a cash out refi? And as on that show, I put it out there. I'm like, you know what? We're not going to get into the mortgage interest rates today and geek out today, but I'm going to do it on the next episode. Well, today is, is next that up? next episode. Yeah. But I do want to give you a shout out. Thank you so much for um, calling me out on not being able to possibly pronounce Steve's. I'm last, sorry. Last I've name. never seen it. It's a whiteout outside. Look outside. You can't see outside. I've never seen it like this. Massive storm rolling through no, central sure. Florida. Never oh my gosh. Is it the summertime? And Central Florida is getting a storm. But I've never seen it where you can't see out the windows, man. You've never been here after 6 o'clock at night, have you? 4.30 probably. Exactly. Yeah. John loves rolling at 10. Ted. Rolls out at 4. TBD. Yeah. But no, I'm serious. That's bad out there, man. You can't even see the skyline. Well, good thing we're in this like building made out of concrete and steel built 50 uh, years ago. Uh, yeah, back when they used to build things to last. Years ago, 300 years well, ago. If you get in our elevators, it's 300 years yeah, ago. Yeah, did you see the permit? They got flagged. I wouldn't get in that thing. The permits have not been like renewed, and there's just a warning notice on that. Basically. Well, look, it's it's six levels of stairs to get from the bottom to the top. I go to the gym to work out. I don't need to be working out That's when I'm, I'm going saying, to work. But shit, I'll, I'm, I'm taking my chances. If Dustin's late for the next podcast, he's stuck in the middle elevator on the third floor trying to get out. <laughs> it happens. I'm not kidding. Use, using my metal credit card to try to like <laughs> pry it open. Pry it open. Exactly. No. So anyhow, uh, I, I promised. I promised one way or another we would get to Steve's request, mm -hmm. and it just so worked that it it um, parlayed well. It transitioned well. Dovetailed nicely into today's topic. Yeah, into today's topic. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. But I was actually calling you out for yet again making fun of me for not being able to pronounce. Say the word. Doherty. No, the other word you can't pronounce. Advocacy. There we go. I practiced that literally Advocate. 17, Advocacy. 25, 30 times. Can you say ambulance? Ambulance. Okay. That's I, an I easy a, one. I have a question for you. This is serious. Yeah. This is off topic. And Advocacy. That, that 90s. Advo Casey. That 90s, that 90s TLC song when they were like, don't go blank, waterfalls. Chasing. I thought it was Jason. No. I swear to God. How old were you? It was last week. I swear to God, Ty told me and there's a whole thing. Look it up. There's a whole contingency of people that, that thought. That doesn't even Jay make sense. Listen, I thought Jason was the guy selling crack on the corner and like having sex with those women. That's why I was like, don't go Jason Waterfalls. Like I thought Jason was the main character in the music. Oh, world. like like it was like, oh hey, don't be a John. Yeah, yeah like or Jason dear John Litter. Yeah. It was like a John. Yeah, I thought like so, Jason. So if you're a Jason, you're a drug dealer banging hookers, and you get AIDS and die. That was the because that's premise. the song. I know that's what I thought. Jason Waterfalls. No, it's chasing, and I can even say that. Yes, even with all the dental work I've had. Yeah, so this, this is a running thing. That. So I, my wife is going around asking people. On, yeah, I'm like, oh, and fifty eight on this. So thank you. <laughs> But the other word that I couldn't say, you want to say it again for me? Advocacy. Yeah, I struggled like crazy last episode. Jason Waterfalls. But I want I want to thank everyone who did sign up to be a mom member, yeah. who went to our website, go to TLOP online. Look, it's under Loan Officer Resources. Scroll down to the bottom third, and you'll see that we have links beyond the training videos, the marketing ideas, and the scripts. We have training. We have we have links to all of your program guidelines, product guidelines. We also have links to industry involvement, right? If you want to be involved in the National Association of, of um, Minority Mortgage Bankers of America. There we go. That's NAMBA, NARREP, MBA. I think we have the National Association of Mortgage Brokers is on there. Um, like the Builder Association. We may even have like NARS on there. Like if you're trying to get involved in your industry, yo, go to the website. That's what it's there. We call it branch manager in a box. 
Like it's our thing. And if you're listening to this the day it drops, it is still time to lock in the cheapest pricing we're ever going to offer. We have three subscription models. We have basic membership. We have a premium and a premium plus each bring more value. Premium plus is the most bang for your buck. It's designed to be that prices are, will not be cheaper than this. They go up on October 1st. Also credit Christie is coming back, not on the podcast. She's doing a one hour exclusive webinar for our TLOP members. She's going to be teaching all of us how we can use the understanding of emotional intelligence and personality profiling, specifically DISC personality profiling on how to better serve your clients, better communicate, therefore better sell, better elicit the response that you want, which is that trustful relationship where they believe you and want to work with you. She's going to spend an hour of her time for free. If you're a TLOP member, she's going to be teaching, coaching, and supplying the knowledge necessary to further benefit you as a sales professional in your career. That is on September 27th at noon. Go to the website and register. It's on the front page of the website, tloponline.com. Scroll down to where we're going to be next or current events or what's happening, whatever Mark called it. And you'll see all of the events that either we're hosting or all the events that we're going to be participating in. So you can join too. That being said, let's get into Steve's email. You ready for this? Yes. All right. So Steve writes, good morning, Dustin. Oh, shit. You saw, you saw that? Yeah. Lights are flickering. Yeah. That's a bad storm out. Weatherman says it no. wasn't going to rain. No. All that is is your ancestors telling you hi, John. <laughs> that's all it is. All right. So he goes, good morning, Dustin. I love the podcast. I'm going to go with my radio DJ voice, okay? okay? I love the podcast. I think a great topic would be pricing. I think most LOs, me included, have an 80% working understanding of how pricing works, how the bond market functions, and how bond investor appetite can dictate interest rates, how the 10-year is a comp competing investment, etc. He goes on. But there is a lot of stuff about pricing that I do not precisely understand. For instance, what's the interrelationship between the price and the rate? When does the rate move? just to satisfy the bond market's need for higher interest yields? When the market loses or gains basis points, what exactly does that mean? He concludes, I have a feeling for how it all works. Sort of like being able to drive a car without knowing exactly how all the electronic and mechanical systems are working in harmony. But I don't know truly how pricing exactly ticks along. Steve, first and foremost, thank you for being a T-Lopper. Thank you for being an avid listener and thank you for reaching out. We love the fact that you love the podcast. Do you love the fact that he loves the podcast, John? Yes, I do. Thanks, Steve. Perfect. Thank you, Steve. And we're going to dedicate the next 20 minutes Yo, that's a final, to this topic. Was that a question you got for your MBA, for your CMB test? I would have skipped that one. Y'all could just give me an F on the test. That's a So, John, are you telling me you're going to sit out today's episode? Just like I did the last one. I don't have time. I can't go and hit the bowl because it's raining out. So now I got to actually pay attention. Jesus. Oh, how about that person who says, who is that guy wearing the hat? Yeah. He looks stoned. He didn't put the and He didn't put the D. He just looked, he looked stone. Oh, oh, like you're just stone, like you're stone cold. I guess. I don't know what the hell he's in. People who comment on the internet are losers unless it's no, support. No, they're not. Unless it's for support. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, there so, we go. Yeah, all, right. all right, there we go. So where do you want to start? You want me to take this one? Yeah, go ahead and take this one, John. Well, bond, the bond market and mortgage rates have an inverse relationship. So when the Treasury raises bond interest rates, it typically has a negative inverse relationship. So mortgage interest rates usually take down. Okay, don't listen to John. Oh, I but right. I thought but right. here's the good news, John. Mm-hmm. Three years of doing a podcast with me, I'm pretty confident you can go into any bar, tell someone you're a bond trader, and as long as they're not in the industry, mm-hmm. they'd have to believe you. My NMLS number looks no, like it's, yeah. Oh, it looks like what? Looks like a million. Looks like a million dollars. I have commas. I have commas in my NMLS like, number. John gets his NMLS number and his social security number confused. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, that long. Yeah, yeah. there's that long. No. All right. So let, let's. I'm just going to kind of break this down because he says um, yes. I think it'd be a great topic. I'm worried this topic's going to be boring. We'll try to make it not boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, this episode, and that's episode, this podcast is like beyond mortgage originators. Like I love that MLOs love this show, but y'all, it's for your kids. It's for your clients. It's for the realtors you serve. Like this is financial literacy 101. This is 18 plus. Let's have some fun. Let's educate. Let's entertain. But let's talk about all the things they didn't teach us in school. Because I'm an ex-top producing LO, it comes from a loan officer's perspective. I'm also an entrepreneur, so as an entrepreneur's perspective, I'm also a father, comes from a father's perspective. I'm also a mentor to college students at one of the greatest universities in our country, University of Central (laughs) Florida. Therefore, I'm a mentor to college students. So when I speak, I speak from my experiences. I just happen to call it the Loan Officer Podcast. So hopefully this is a somewhat educational episode for those outside of the industry those into it yeah y'all are gonna geek out let's go so i think most lo's including you have an 80 percent working understanding of how pricing works i think steve you're giving lo's too much credit That's i don't think it's 80 percent. 42 i think it should be 80 percent. i think it may be closer to 33 percent of licensed originators maybe 80 percent of full-time professional dedicated mortgage professionals know that it's, you know, know, know the basics, but they don't. So I'm going to take what John just tried to state and I'm going to try to restate it a little bit more clearly, maybe a tad bit more accurate. Mm-hmm. So a mortgage rate is nothing more than a bond. Okay. So mortgage backed security, similar to the 10 year treasury, but it's not in correlation with the 10 year treasury. Technically a mortgage backed security is a 30 year bond. So when someone is buying that security, they're buying that investment, they're anticipating getting a set rate of return for 30 years. However, everyone and their brother, dead or alive, should know mortgages do not stay on the books for 30 years. Mortgages stay on the books on average five to seven years. And if you're buying a pool of mortgage-backed securities in today's market with a bunch of 7% interest rates that are making up that bond, you should anticipate that thing staying on your books for possibly two or three years before somebody refinances out or they sell their home, they go buy a new home, get a new mortgage at a much cheaper interest rate. And I share that little bit of information to let you know that it's a little bit convoluted. We're talking Wall Street. We're talking stocks and bonds. A mortgage is at its core, nothing more than a bond. It's a 30-year mortgage-backed security. That's what John's mortgage and my mortgage and Susie's mortgage and Eric's mortgage and Jamal's mortgage, they all get lumped into one, packaged and sold off and traded. The people who buy mortgage-backed securities, anyone who wants a safe investment with a guaranteed rate of return, pension funds, 
retirement funds, life insurance companies. They want to purchase certain assets like a CD where you go to your bank, mm -hmm. you give your bank $30,000, they guarantee you 4% rate of return as long as that you give them that money for two years. It's a CD is a, is a type of like fixed instrument, a bond very much like a fixed instrument. There's multiple types of bonds. There's municipal bonds. Literally think municipality. I can say that word mm. with a city is looking to raise money to build infrastructure. They can raise it by issuing bonds and investors can purchase their bonds. They're called muni bonds. The 10 year treasury is a type of bond. That's the U S government raising money in order to fund the government. And they raise it by going into debt. They sell debt. They sell this note, this security, they guaranteed a rate of a rate of interest. And then investors purchase that instrument and then they, the government takes that money and they use that money to, to run the government, right? It's, I go to buy a house. I don't pay cash for the house. I go get a mortgage. I raise money so that I can purchase a home to live in. And I also generate wealth by owning that home. Okay. So the government works off of 10 year treasuries, the mortgage industry, we create these mortgages, then we sell them off in packages and they get turned into mortgage backed securities. Which means, and this is the very basics, I'm starting at the beginning, which means to a consumer, every single day, mortgage rates change, usually multiple times a day. Why? Because of the daily trading of these mortgage-backed securities, Wall Street and the market will dictate whether or not your rate seven or seven and a quarter, whether or not rates go from six or from seven to six or from seven to eight, all based on Wall Street, not your bank, not your lender, not Joe Biden, not Donald Trump, literally the market. And the way it works is the market, which are investors who are purchasing these, these, uh, securities, purchasing these, um, investments, they want to come in and they're going to pay a price for it. Let's say they're going to pay a hundred dollars and they're gonna get one share, one bond. And if they pay a hundred dollars for it, meaning they give a hundred dollars, it's going to guarantee that they make 5% interest on it. All right, cool. But if they, if the price of that bond goes up, meaning it becomes more expensive, typically the rate of return goes down. It has an inverse relationship. If the price of bonds goes down, then the rate of return goes up. That's what people have to understand. So when we're watching the bond market, we're like, oh, bond prices just dropped X, we tend to use basis points and bips. A, uh, bips, basis points, bips. I don't want to get into this because it's going to be very hard to explain without like my whiteboard and my er dry erase marker. But a basis point is a fraction of a percent. So one basis point is literally one penny on the dollar, or it would be one one hundredth of one percent. Because 10 basis points is one-tenth of 1%. 100 basis points is one, like 1%. Okay. Um, we tend to talk in basis points. So if I said, oh, rates rates just went up a quarter basis point, that meant the rate went from six to six and a quarter. But if I said the price of a bond went up by a quarter basis point, the price of the bond doesn't, doesn't mean that the actual rate did. It just meant the price of the bond went up, which meant actually rates went down. If the price of the bond went up, rates went, uh, I'm sorry, goes down, rates go up. That's the inverse effect. And just know when investors are buying bonds, there's a correlation of price 
and rate of return. The higher the price, the lower the rate of return. The lower the price, the higher the rate of return. Follow me so far? Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Ish. Okay. Mortgage rates are not the Fed funds rate. Mortgage rates are not the prime rate. And mortgage rates are not the 10-year treasury. Although the 10-year treasury and mortgage-backed securities, they mirror each other pretty closely. And the reason why is they're competing products. Like if you have X amount of dollars that you want to invest, you're John Coleman and you're a pension fund. You may put a third of it in stock. You may put a third of it in cash, but you may put a third of it in bonds, but which bonds are you going to buy? Are they muni bonds? Are they 10-year treasuries or the mortgage-backed securities? Barry bonds. <laughs> I mean, if you want to, I mean, I, I don't know how you make put money into Barry bonds. Balco did back in the day. That's what I'm saying. That could put a lot of money into Barry bonds. Don't know if it ever paid out for them, but man. Yeah. Um, no. So those would be the, the, the bonds. So if there's only X amount of dollars to invest and they're all going to the 10-year treasury, that means they're not going to mortgage-backed securities. Well, then if I am a mortgage-backed security issuer and I need more people to come in and buy it, I need to make it more enticing. How do you make something more enticing? Well, let's make it cheaper, John. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting enough action. How do I, how do I get more action? I'm going to lower my cost. Mm -hmm. Well, the minute I lower the price of that bond, what's going to happen to the rate? It's going to go up. Yeah, it has, a, has an inverse relationship. It's going to go up. So just because the 10-year treasury is rallying, that may make actual mortgage rates go up if there's only a finite amount of money going into bond trading in general. Now, when everybody wants bonds, let's say there's something economic or worldly happening that's spooking investors to take their money out of the stock market, they got to put it somewhere and they don't want to park it into cash. They got to put it into bonds. Well, there could be a case where the price of bonds goes up across the board, which means the rate of returns go down across the board because all this money is just influxing in. Okay, well, that, if that's the case, you can see the 10-year treasury and the mortgage back, the MBS, move in sync, meaning both their prices went up, which meant both their rates went down. So there tends to be eight times out of 10, the direction that the 10-year treasury is going is the direction of the mortgage-backed security market. But sometimes the mortgage-backed security market lags the 10-year treasury. So something happened with treasuries first, and then it happened with mortgage-backed securities. And then vice versa could also happen. Um, so that's just good for people to know that there is a relationship. And I think that was one of, um, one of Steve's questions is he used the word interrelationship between, oh, that was price and rate. But he did ask a question, how the 10-year is competing investment? Well, it's a competing investment because it's just a different product. I would say to Steve, when he asked, how is the 10-year competing investment against the mortgage-backed security market? Pepsi and Coke. Some people really, it matters. I don't drink Pepsi or I don't touch Coke. I don't freaking matter. If I want a soda, I want a soda, mm -hmm. right? But there are people who have a very distinct palate. They want one or the other. That to me would be how, it, how the, the investment works, the competing investment. And then I, it's perceived the 10 year treasury is a safer investment because it is wholly backed by the U S government where the MBS market is still like a quasi backing by the U S government, unless it's a Ginny May bond, then Ginny May bonds, which is your FHA loans, your VA loans, or your USDA loans. Those loans are packaged into their own bond and they do have the uh, full backing of the U S government. So they tend to be traded with a little bit more um, appetite a lot of times. 
But the market in general is huge because it's it's a game of um, algorithms. It's a game of duration. We talk about prepay speeds. We talk about runoff. We talk about um, delinquencies. Like, because you have to think that these bonds had these assets called mortgages that are inside of them. And there's a whole entire industry called the MSR industry, mortgage servicing right industry, the right to service these loans. And the valuation of MSRs goes up and down every single day. So I'm trying to make it as basic as possible. And I'm trying to answer Steve's qu uh, questions as clear as I can. But I would tell Steve, I am 20 years into this industry. I'm probably 15 years into wanting to know more about how the sausage is made. I am a CMB. Um, I've sat through school in mortgage banking too. I've been an avid Dan Rowich and Barry Habib fan for, for decades. And there's still so much more that I could learn as it pertains to how these bonds are hedged, how they are actually traded, and then how they are later traded in the secondary market based on the valuations going up and down. Because y'all need to know, I as an investor could go buy a package of bonds, just like I could go, go buy a bunch of Apple stock. And in three years, what's my Apple stock worth? Well, I don't know. It's three years from now. Well, in three years, this package of, of mortgages that I purchased, these bonds, what are they worth? Well, and that's going to depend. You know, it's, it's going to depend on what could someone else go get in the open market. I had these bonds for sale at 4%. If new bonds are at 7%, how attractive are my 4% bonds? One would say, well, I'd rather the 7% bond. Yeah, you're right. But what happens when that 7% bond pays off in two years, but the 4% bond doesn't pay off for seven years, right? Because that's, that's a duration risk. How long is this asset going to sit on my books? And you have to understand that big pension funds and hedge funds and retirement funds and life insurance companies, they're playing with billions of dollars, sometimes trillions of dollars, and they're hedging one investment with the next. They're diversifying their portfolio. So there's a massive market behind the scenes that is dictating what's going to hit our rate sheets. It is not your bank. It is not your lender. It is not your CEOs, not the Federal Reserve. It is literally what appetite is going on in the secondary market. And today's pricing, today's interest rate, today's rate sheet could be impacted by a group of bonds that was sold three years ago. Think about that. Wait a minute, we have XYZ economic events going on right now. And in, in, in our in our industry, we know what inflation is, we know what the Fed funds rate is, we know what the 10-year treasury is. But you're telling me that what was sold three years ago could impact today's rates? And the answer is yes. Then you're gonna ask me why. The reason why is because at the end of the day, there's only so much money and so much appetite for this one investment. And if everyone is buying used cars, then there needs to be an incentive for them to buy new cars. But if all the money is going to use cars, then new cars aren't being sold. What I'm trying to get at is if there is a gluttony of old vintage mortgage bonds on the market that are still valuable, that are still wanted by investors, then how much appetite are they going to have for today's new bonds that we're creating and making? And if they don't have an appetite, I have to make my product more attractive. How do you make the product more attractive, John? Drop the price and offer BOGO deals. All, drop the price and offer a higher interest rate. Oh, yeah, that too. Which is why there's certain days in the market 
that we look at economic factors like, well, this makes no sense based on that, based on the, the new CPI numbers or the new PPI numbers or the non-farm payrolls, we should have seen bonds trade a much different direction. But if there was no one willing to purchase those new bonds because they were getting fat and happy and full buying vintage bonds, because these things get bought and sold and retraded, then it's going to impact that rate sheet. So what I want the most basic new first time home buyer to understand, yo, this shit's convoluted. Like this is crazy, super smart person math that I don't know how to do, right? I don't, I don't have an economics master's from Harvard to go with my Yale undergrad in astrophysics, but there are people in our country who do, and they understand this at a higher level. They don't know it all because nobody knows it all. You know, a lot of it is educated guesswork based on statistics and graphs and probabilities. But I just need the first time home buyer to understand, yeah, this shit's convoluted. Now, I want to answer some more of Ben's, uh, Ben, more of Steve's questions before we uh, wrap it up. I was thinking Bert, Ben Bernanke. He was the J-Pal before there was a J-Pal. I'm trying to keep my eyes open. Let's do it. Let's get it. John. I can't. This is. With my. Would you like it if I use no, my radio? No, it's even DJ worse. I can't again. believe people love this shit. It's so nerdy. I almost take personal offense to that. You're not a nerd. Well, I'm not, but I'm, it, am I doing nerdy but shit? Even, but you even said, I don't even get it, so therefore you're not a nerd. I do get it. But not as good as Ben Bernanke and the other guy you mentioned. Yeah. I would like to say in the mortgage industry, I'd put myself. You're top 1%. Get. You're top 1%. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. That would hurt my feelings. I'd give myself top 3%. I wouldn't want to put myself out there. Ah, I've seen loan originators way better than them. There you have it. <laughs> Definitely some CEOs. Definitely some capital markets I people. I think you should throw your... Get Definitely back. Marina Walsh at the NBA. Yeah, she'll If you wanted to, could me. you originate a loan tomorrow? Yes. Throw your hat back in the ring, bro. You know what? I like coaching loan officers. I like running mortgage companies. I like running a podcast. Okay. I like buying and selling real estate, investing in, uh, in, in tech startup companies. There's 24 hours in a day, and it sounds like you have 15 minutes left allocated at the end of the day to dedicate toward working that You know pipeline. what I'm going to do? Kevin Murphy's getting ready to go on vacation. He and his wife are going to go to Asia for two weeks. You know, do not That's what I'm going to do. Do not disturb. No, I'm going to step up, and I'm going to help cover his book of business. Just make sure we podcast before that week because I don't want you grumpy. I, I do it two weeks out of the year. It keeps, keeps me sharp. I probably talk to three borrowers a month, actually. Yeah, I just, you know what, what I don't want to do? I don't want to actually like collect your income docs and calculate your income anymore. There you go. Yep. Uh, but uh, I will talk payments. I will structure. Okay. I will definitely consult all day long. I'm just letting the p people know that you still know how to price things out in Optimal Blue. Yes, I do. See, I know my shit. Yeah, and I, I know how to do it in Loan Sifter too. But you don't know how to drag files from the desktop onto Shut up. a Microsoft Teams drive. Yeah, you taught me something new. I was today years old when John taught me how to click drag and, and drag. Drag and drag. He, Click and drag. Eight yeah. things at a time. And the way you get mad at me for, I was like. Because you it, you hold control and individually select each one where you can just drag and highlight them all. Maybe that's my OCD. Maybe it is. Maybe that's why you're Maybe a Maybe it's one of my ticks. Damn loan originator. That is. Yep. All right. Next question, Steve. What you got? Um, let's see here. For instance, what's the interrelation between price and rate? I think we talked about mm -hmm. that, but I'm going to get more specific. In general, y'all want to rule and thumb the correlation of price and rate. So. When we see a rate sheet as a mortgage loan originator, we definitely see that the pricing of that loan goes up and down. Like we, because we follow the bond market, when I'm looking at a, at a, at a rate sheet, a hundred equals par. A hundred means that that is the going interest rate. And if I quote someone 99, 
then like think of being on a graph, you slide down the graph from 100 down to 99, then you look to your right, the interest rate that's correlated with someone getting 99 is gonna be a lower interest rate, okay? Um, but with that lower interest rate, they have to make up the difference between 99 and 100, which is one. One equals 100 basis points, right? The difference between, and mm -hmm. I told you 100 basis points is one is 1%. So someone has to pay 1% to get that lower rate. So there's a correlation that when the price of a mortgage goes up, then the consumer should anticipate either getting a credit or a higher interest rate. When the price of that, this is a little bit different than the bond market. Okay, now I'm talking rate sheets, y'all. When I'm looking at a rate sheet and I see the price go down, then rates should get cheaper, but not always. Because Wall Street and the investors who buy these bonds still get to dictate what they want. If nobody wants a 5.5% rate, I don't care how many discount points your borrower pays, we can't get down that low if nobody wants it. Now, if somebody wants it and they want it bad enough, you may see your par rate be seven. That's the going rate, par. That means the consumer is not paying anything extra. That means the consumer is not getting anything extra. When I say getting, it's typically in a lender credit. So we would say, oh, the price is priced at par. Okay, what's the rate? Oh, the rate's seven. So the price on the rate sheet, par, which means they're not paying anything extra, they mean in the buyer, they're not getting anything extra, meaning like a lender credit, they're par, par is seven. But if somebody wants to go below par, okay, well, how much below par? Well, they wanna go down to 99. Okay, well, they have to pay. What do they have to pay? One, what is one? 100 basis points or 1%. The difference between 100, which is par, and 99. Okay, if my client pays one, one discount point, now what's their rate? Danielle Anderson would say? It depends. It depends. Rule of thumb, rule of thumb, every discount point your borrower pays, or if you're a home buyer, every discount point you pay, you should receive a quarter to three eighths better in interest rate. That's a rule of thumb, but we have to keep in mind, there are investors who are purchasing these bonds that your mortgage is made up of. And if you paying one point to get your rate to go from seven down to 6.625, but ain't nobody wanting a bunch of 6.625s in their bond portfolio, you're not gonna get it. Or what if they really want a bunch of six and a halfs in their portfolio? Their algorithm says six and a half is the sweet spot. If six and a half is the sweet spot, you may be able to get a whole entire half a percent off of your interest rate just by paying one discount point. Now you have to figure out why would I pay one discount point to save half a percent? Well, the answer is why would you pay on a $300,000 loan? Why would you pay three grand in order for you to save $125 a month? Well, how many times does 125 go into 3000? You run the math, you're like, oh, it goes into 3000 roughly 26 months or 26 times 26 months. Okay, are you willing to pay $3,000 today at closing in order to save $125 a month, it makes sense if you're gonna keep this mortgage for at least three years or longer. Okay, so that's a decision that consumers make. The correlation between price and rate in this case was half a percent, but it wasn't a one-to-one -one correlation. It's not like, hey, consumer, if you pay one discount point, you'll get 1% off of your rate. No, it doesn't work that way.
typically one discount point buys you a quarter to three eighths. Sometimes it only buys you an eighth, or sometimes it could buy you a whole entire half and the interest rate reduction. It depends on the market, which depends on those that are purchasing these particular bonds. That's what loan officers have to understand. No different than a loan officer may be like, yo, man, this market sucks. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing no par pricing. Okay, what does that mean? Well, no par pricing means the consumer cannot get an interest rate unless they pay points. And that's the bond investors who are ultimately going to purchase the security looking at the rate stack. And they're like, uh-uh, uh-uh, I, I do not want 8% interest rates in the end of these bonds. That'll force people to prepay rapidly the minute rates come down. That means I'm going to have massive duration risk, and I can't do that. So I don't want 8% rates. I only want 7% rates. But that particular scenario, maybe it was an investment property, maybe the credit score was low, maybe it was a cash out refinance. So you had a bunch of uh, loan level pricing adjustments, risk uh, adjusters. Okay, cool. If you want that loan, that bond issuer is essentially saying, you better pay me two points up front, homie. I want my interest today. And then I'll, then I'll give you a 7% rate. Because the 2%, that's what I want for the risk I'm taking on. 7%, that's where my algorithm works. I can't let you price those two discount points into the rate because I don't trust that if I give you an 8% rate that you won't pay me off in the next six to nine months. And I'm not in the business to lose money and I as a bond issuer would lose money or it'd screw up my algorithm. So when loan officers are like, how come I can't see par pricing? Again, it's not your capital markets team. It's not your investor. It's not your lender. It's not your CEO. It's not your branch manager. It's the investor on Wall Street who's purchasing these mortgage-backed securities. That's also why there, there will be a time in every market, right? Because things are cyclical, where John, you come to me and you're like, hey, Dio, what's today's par rate, the going rate? And I'm like, well, John, let me pull your credit. Let me get your income, look at your DTI. Based on your scenario, the going rate's 5%. But at 5%, John, you have to put 3% down. You have to pay another six grand towards closing costs. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wee, whoa. I don't have that much money. I said, cool, you know what, John? If I take your rate from five to five and a half, your payment's gonna go up by roughly 125 bucks a month. But by going from five to five and a half, I can actually cover all of your closing costs. You're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I can cover all your closing costs. Yes, your payment's 125 more a month, but I can give you a $6,000 closing cost credit. Why? Because Wall Street, the bond purchasers, they were incentivizing me as the lender. They didn't want a 5% rate. They wanted a 5.5% rate. So they were going to give me an incentive to sell a 5.5% interest rate. Well, I sold it and I took that extra juice, that extra spread, that extra profit, and I gave it all to John Coleman to help him become a home buyer because John only had enough money to cover his down payment, not enough to cover down payment and closing costs. Right now, you can't do that. And again, it's not due to your capital markets team, your lender, your branch manager, all because Wall Street doesn't want it. Why? Because these instruments, these bonds, when they're purchased, they typically, they, they are the people who are buying them. They want them to be on their books for a set time period that they can count on. So they try to find an interest rate based on economic projections based on where the market is going, where the economy is going, that makes them feel warm and fuzzy that this bond's going to stay on my books, making on-time payments for at least four, preferably seven years. And then a mortgage bond, I'll probably end on this. A mortgage bond is even crazier 
because the money paid out is based on unpaid principal balance. Well, John, you know enough to tell me what happens to the principal balance on a mortgage loan as you own your house for three years, five years, seven years. The principal should be going down. Yeah, going down. Yeah. So if you're earning five or 6% on what was originally a million dollar bond that you had purchased if you were a life insurance company, after three years, you're not making that that 5% on a million dollars. You're making 5% on 900 grand. Mm -hmm. Then you're making 5%. What happens if in year four, 20% of your portfolio all sells their homes. EPO, don't do it. Well, it's not an EPO after four years. It'd be an EPO after six months. Right. Good for you to know what EPO is. Stands for? Early payoff. Early payoff, yeah. So, but think about this. You you purchased this bond. You ran your algorithm. You have X amount of dollars. You're trying to safely div uh, diversify, d safely invest in a, in a diversified way. And all of a sudden, naturally, you know this bond is going to pay off just because people make their principal payments. But then you get 20% of the people now sell their house, so they pay off their mortgage. So you originally purchased the bond for X dollars, and it was going to return you 5% interest on the unpaid principal balance. And over time, you recognize that the unpaid principal balance was going to go down. That's just natural. But you didn't anticipate 20% of the portfolio in by year three, all paying off full because they sold their homes. So the bond issuers have to take all of that statistical analysis, prognostication into account when they are making their decisions. So as you can see, convoluted, convoluted, but not if you break it down into bite-sized chunks. And that's what I'll tell anyone who wants to learn this. You learn this the same way you bite an elephant, which is- You eat an elephant one bite at a time. Yeah, you learn this one bite at a time. You first figure out the correlation between the bond market. Okay, whenever the price of bonds goes up, rates go down, what bonds? Mortgage-backed securities. Cool. The correlation between price and rate when it comes to a mortgage interest rate sheet. All right. For every hundred basis points, you go up or down in price. You should see rule of thumb, a quarter percent change. So if I go from a 7% interest rate to a seven and a quarter, I should have somewhere between 50 or hundred basis points that I could give back to the consumer as a lender credit. And that would be 50 to, to 50 to hundred basis points of the loan amount. But if I want to charge a consumer 100 basis points, they should get somewhere around a quarter percent cheaper interest rate. But please know that's not always the case based on the appetite of the investor. Yo, just give all these mathematical problems to AI and let's go party. Possibly, John, one day, but today's not that <laughs> day. Um, you know what, Steve? I think I want to end there. I think I'm going to come to a spot where I think I gave him a lot. You gave me a lot, bro. I can't even breathe. I mean, did we answer when the market loses or gains basis points? What does that exactly mean? Well, yeah, it meant that the price mm -hmm. of that security went up or down. It became cheaper to purchase or more expensive to purchase. That's what that means. Um, you answered every question three different ways. When does ways. the rate move just to satisfy the bond market's need for higher interest yields? No, rates move based on economic conditions. Right. They truly do based on economic conditions, based on supply of money, Wall Street's fault, how much money is, is in the market. And then where's that money going to be parked? Like that's, that's truly is like, when does the rate move daily multiple times a day based on the trading of the market, trading of investors, how much money do they have and where do they want to park the money? And they're making their decisions using human emotion and some, some data, some data, some data analytics. Um, so we got that one. We talked about the interrelationship between price and rate. 
Um, and we even covered the fact that he thinks 80% of us, meaning mortgage originators, have a working understanding of how pricing works. Well, now you have a better one because Dustin just broke it down for you. If if every if all 70 plus thousand licensed full-time mortgage originators listen to this episode, maybe we'd get to 80%. Maybe. Um, and we talked about how the bond market functions and how bond investor appetite can dictate interest rates. We even discussed the correlation of the 10-year with the mortgage-backed security. John Coleman. Holy shit. I have great news for you, homie. We're done. That was detention for me. That was not detention for me. Steve, <laughs> I appreciate you tuning in. Thank you so much. Y'all, if you like what we do, please share us. Tell a colleague. Yeah. Tell a friend. If you want more of this, join us over at tloponline.com. Uh, make sure you're getting involved in your trade organizations, your local MBA, your national MBA, MORPAC, MA the National Association of Mortgage Professionals, AIM. Like there's tons of great organizations that you should be a part of. Make sure you're doing it. And come join us next, or no, not next week, this week. Join us this week with Credit Christie yeah. uh, when she does a TLOP exclusive on disc personality profiling and um, uh, IQ. Disc emotional. Emotional intelligence. Emotional so, intelligence. Yeah. I'm awesome. a low IQ on the disc personality. You're a low IQ? Yeah. It doesn't work that way, John. Oh, shit. Well, maybe I need to attend it then. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to figure out who you are. I'm going to say- I'm not even on the scale, bro. You're a DC. I'm going to say you're a DC and not a dick. You are a dick sometimes, but you're a DC. On that note, he's John Coleman. I'm Dustin Owen. You have just tuned in to Lone Oster Podcast. That is all the time we have for you today, but we look forward to catching you on the next episode. Peace.